John chapter 10. I need to give you some background and um, what's going on here. Maybe it would help if I flip there too. Um, John 8, we, we talked about several weeks ago that uh, John 8, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, so much going on there in the context of that, isn't there? So, so this is the Feast of Tabernacles celebrating and remembering God's faithfulness to his people while they were in the desert, Israel. And while they were in the desert in those years, they had a pillar of fire and light that led them. In those years, they had a pillar of fire and light that led them. And so part of this feast was in the temple, they put two giant oil lamps and so that you saw that the light upon the hill to remember that God is the one that leads his people. And in the midst of that, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Absolutely. Now, John chapter 9, which is important for understanding of where we are here today, there's a blind man that Jesus and his disciples pass. And the disciples say, who sinned? This man his parents because... Usually when someone's sick, the rabbis would take that as an opportunity to teach about their sin. And Jesus says, well, neither. It was for the glory of God. He heals the blind man. The blind man becomes a believer. The Pharisees bring him in. and He essentially says that Jesus healed me. They excommunicate him. Now, that's, that's very important. They put him, in their eyes, outside the kingdom of God. Now, here we are in John 10, and Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and he says, I am the good shepherd, and I am the gate of salvation in the context of them just excommunicating a believer. So let's just read John chapter 10, and we're going to break this up into two parts. This week we'll be looking at the gate. Next week, Jesus says the good shepherd. I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Scriptures this morning. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure speaks Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let's pray once more with me just for our time. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you that you are the gate, you are the door to open to the believer, that it is through you, it is by faith in your work that we enter into the kingdom of God, the family of God, the church of your people. There is no other gate, Lord, 
It is only the one that you've opened to us, the gate of grace. And we praise you. And I, I pray when we leave here today that every believer in this room, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would want to worship you in a profound and new way because they would see and understand with eyes of faith and knowledge what you have done for them personally. So glorify yourself, we pray, and give me the grace to teach truth and let your Holy Spirit take it and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, over the years we've had a, a lot of friends who've gone to China and they've gone there and so often what they do is they, they're missionaries, of course, and they go there and they end up getting a contract to teach an English class or, or something like that. And I have heard the same story again and again and again from these friends that the, the first day of class, the students come in and they sit down and most of the students in the class are real students. They, they've gone through the correct process. They're really studying something. And they've registered to be in this class. But also in this class, almost always, is at least one, sometimes two, government watchmen or women who are simply posing as students. They are watching to ensure that there's nothing about Jesus that's being taught. They don't want to learn. They came in the back door or over the fence, you might say. They didn't actually register. They didn't pay. They were placed there by the government. Now, in John 10, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who've just excommunicated, put out of Israel, that is, the, the faith, uh, this blind man. And they think they come out of the kingdom of God, you might say. And Jesus, in their face, says, I am the gate. I am the door of the kingdom. I am the passage. I am the one that stands between God and man. And then he looks at them and says, you are thieves and robbers because they are leading people away from the gospel of grace and the very work of Christ. Verse 1, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Now, this word thief is kleptes, which is where we get our idea of kleptomaniac, one who steals. You see that? One who steals with deceit. And that's what Jesus is calling them. And he tells the Pharisees that you didn't enter the kingdom through me, but you've come over the fence, and you're nothing but thieves here to harm God's people. Now, when I heard that, I began to think, okay, who are the thieves and the robbers, according to Jesus, in the church and in God's kingdom today? And it's anyone who advocates that you can enter God's kingdom another way and not solely on faith in Christ. This or these are spiritual robbers or thieves because their work is to remove people from the shepherd Christ and his kingdom. Now, I, I think the church has really struggled here. The church has been far too accommodating in order to keep the peace or make the gospel appear more attractive, sometimes church leadership has accommodated non-biblical opinions within the church. And so, in other words, we've let 
thieves and robbers come in. Francis Schaeffer, the great theologian, says it like this. First, one starts questioning based upon what the world about us is saying. Then one looks at Scripture, then theology, then scientific study, until finally what the Scriptures teach is completely subjected to whatever view is currently accepted by the world. You see, the pressure to accommodate has moved the church to teach the doctrines such as things like universal salvation, all ways are valid ways to God. Sometimes to translate the Scriptures in such a way that they may not be offensive to certain groups of people. Or to say the Scriptures now are not the Word of God, they just contain the Word of God so we can pick and choose what's there. You see, so often by accommodation we begin to see the kingdom as less of a sheep pen with a gate named Jesus and more of an open pasture that you can come and enter as you please. Where spiritual thieves and robbers proclaim a very different gospel leading people away from Christ. But Christ paints a very different picture when He says the kingdom is like a sheep pen and I and I alone am God's gate of grace. So here's the main idea today. That Jesus is the only gate of God's saving grace to the world. Please write that down somewhere on your notes. Jesus and Jesus alone the Good Shepherd is the only gate of saving grace opened by the Father to the world for the world. Or you could just say Jesus is the only gate of God's grace. Two things we want to see. Now, when Jesus is speaking here, he breaks it up. He's talking about two different pens. Okay? There's two separate pens. There's a country pen, sheep pen that he's talking about, and then there's the city sheep pen that he's talking about. Okay, so Jesus describes these two types of pens. The first one is in verses 1 to 5. That's the city pen. Many sheep from many different shepherds. The second one is verses 7 to 10. He's describing a sheep pen, which is a country pen. And that's where on the countryside you would have a stone fence that was built in a circle, but there was an opening, never a gate. And that's where the shepherd would lay at night. The shepherd would lay his body and sleep on that opening so that nothing could come in or out except through him. Now look at your Bibles, verses 7 to 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now the question is, what does Jesus mean when he claims to be the gate? Or like he says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, we need to see who he's talking to first. He's talking to the Pharisees who've just excommunicated this man. And in their eyes, they've kicked him out of the kingdom. He's no longer saved, they thought. In other words, they were the gatekeepers. They held the keys. They could let people come into the kingdom or out. And when Jesus says, I am the gate, notice he's not claiming to be the same as them. He's not claiming to be simply a gatekeeper. Okay? He's not claiming to just be another way 
someone who teaches things about God, or an enlightened prophet, you might say. He's claiming to be the gate, the gate, and the only gate. And what he's saying is his body sacrificed on the cross, his death, his resurrection, is the gate of grace. Where sin closed the entrance of God's kingdom, grace sent Christ to open the way for man to again know God. Now look at verse 9. All are invited, which again is a message to the Pharisees. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastures. He's speaking directly to the Pharisees who said only Jews that obeyed the biblical laws that could enter God's kingdom. And Jesus says, no, anyone can enter. There are no restrictions, any race, any education level, any social position. Doesn't matter what kind of wealth you have, how smart you are, or your intelligence level, your religious background, or how rebellious of a past that you have, all are invited to the gate. Now this is exactly what we see in Jesus' ministry up to this point, right? A Samaritan woman married four different men and living with another, she's invited. An adulterous woman who they're ready to stone because she's had a relationship out of marriage, she's invited. A street beggar who has nothing is invited. A tax collector who was a traitor in his own eyes or in the eyes of the country is invited. You see, but the invitation is also a message that the kingdom of God is like a sheep pen and that you are not born into it, but you must enter it to be saved and the only way to enter it is through the gate. And that is Christ Jesus. Through grace, through faith, salvation comes. Now, let me say it like this. If your house was burning down and your whole family is standing in the yard and they're all safe, and I just came running up and I said, I'm going to show you what a pastor is really like. I love you so much. Watch this. And I ran into the house and the whole place crumbled down around me and I died. You would say, what an idiot. You wouldn't say, oh, how he loved us. Now, what if I come up and there you are and you're screaming because your daughter is still in the house and I run into the house and I get your daughter out, I drop her out of the second story window, you make an amazing catch and then the roof comes crashing down upon me and I die. You wouldn't say I was an idiot anymore. Well, you, you might say I'm an idiot, but that's different. You would say how much he loved us. Oh, how much he loved us. He saved what was lost by sacrificing his own life. If man can cleanse himself and make a way into God's kingdom, if there's no wall. If we could just go over the wall, you might say, Jesus' death is not loving. It's idiotic. It's powerless. It's the dumbest thing in the world because we don't need anybody to die for us or cleanse us because we can do it ourselves. But if, however, 
sin has made us unclean and powerless to cleanse ourselves, then God's grace to open a wide door through His own Son, death and resurrection, is the most amazing love that the world has ever, ever seen. And I want to describe it to you in a very Jewish way, paraphrasing a Christian teacher by the name of Ed Welch. When we look at our world, we see people in categories, don't we? City slickers, country folks, educated, uneducated, charismatic, Presbyterian, rich, poor. The Bible also uses categories. Leviticus 10.10. You are to distinguish between unclean and clean. Please catch this. Notice man is either clean or unclean before God. Those Those are part of the categories. Clean is acceptable to worship. Unclean is not acceptable to come into his presence and know him and worship. For the Jew, he became unclean in three primary ways, or she, by three primary ways. They could be around something of death. Second way was idol worship. Third was violating God's intended order, like sexual sins, maybe a man having a relationship with his sister. And so much of the Old Testament law is about how unclean people again become clean so that they can worship and know God. The unclean were sent out of the community until they could become clean again through sacrifices. By going to the temple and taking whatever sacrifice you could afford and having its life and its blood shed before you. So that God's people saw there is a significant price for me to go. A significant price. Blood must be shed. Life must be given for me to go from unclean to clean. God is very much making a point in all of that. Unclean does not belong to his kingdom. Not that they are unwelcome or they're unloved. But God must do something for them before they can enter into his presence again. The whole system was pointing towards a one-time sacrifice from God himself to take man from a position of unclean to a position of clean. And Christ, speaking in front of these Pharisees, says, it's not your rules, it's not your laws that are the gate into the kingdom that make people clean. It's me. I am the sacrifice. I am the only gate. I am the only way to take people from unclean to clean. Second. Second. We'll go from the country pen to the city pen. And we're also switching gears from man's perspective of salvation to God's perspective of salvation. Now, remember I said there were two sheep pens. The first pen was the city pen. And when the sheep would come to town, let's say that you're a shepherd and you're coming to town to buy some wheat flour, but you've got your sheep. And in the city was a community pen, and there was a watchman. So you'd check your sheep into the pen. Now, you didn't get a ticket. You didn't get anything that said he's got 28 sheep, half, you know, this color, half that color. And when you finished, you came, and the way your sheep came to you is they knew your voice. 
And so the shepherd would literally call his sheep, and they would come out of the pen, leaving the other shepherd's sheep still in the pen. Now look at verses 1 to 5 with me in your Bibles. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hears voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. We'll stop right there. Christ uses this city pen and the voice of the shepherd to explain how people are saved in the face of the Pharisees who were excommunicating people and saying they weren't saved. Now, to understand this, we need to connect it a little bit back to what he said in John 6, okay? So we'll start there, and then we'll move forward, okay? That makes sense? Give me a nod. You with me? Okay. First, the Father gives the sheep to the Son. John 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. The Father gives the believer some to the Son. When? Ephesians 1.4, Paul answers that. Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, to the praise of the glory of Christ or of his grace. It happened before the foundation of the world. Let that sink in before you did anything. If you're a believer, the Father chose you to be adopted as His children and gave you to His Son. Now you say, Rusty, that doesn't make any sense. I, I thought you just said He invited all. Now you're telling me the Father chooses some before anything and He gave them to the Son to redeem. How is that grace? Good question you've got there. It is grace because you, left to yourself, would never have accepted his call. If left to yourself, Ephesians 2.1 says about you, you who he made alive were dead in trespasses and sin. And just like a dead man or woman, you cannot wake yourself up. So you would never come to God, you are spiritually dead outside of His grace. Sin has contracted our wills and our hearts, you might say, taking our original freedom to know, love, obey God away. So now the Bible describes us as spiritually lifeless. And before the foundations of the world, the Father said, I will give these to my Son. Now stop there before we go any further. Think about that. If that's true, we're dead spiritually. Not just sick, but dead spiritually, like the Scripture says. And we can't freely take the gospel as it's presented to us. Then God has three options, doesn't he? First option, then, is he could save everybody. It's called universalism. He could say, Jesus is going to save everybody. So there's really no gate. It's open. Second option is he could save nobody. No one's going to be saved. They all reject me and will face my judgment. 
Third option, he could save some. This is all of what Scripture calls election and predestination. By his grace, he saves some. Now, let's keep moving then. Okay, Rusty, I get it before the foundations of the world. Now, he calls his sheep by name. Verse 3 and 4 in your chapter, chapter 10. Now we pick up here. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. John 6, says the same thing. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. So Christ comes to the world. He calls his sheep by name. Calling is a supernatural work of the Spirit to draw people to Christ, to change their wills and change their heart, to suddenly take what's dead, give it a new heart, so it has freedom then to actually, in its own freedom, to take the gospel and believe it and be saved. So he is the good shepherd who calls his sheep to himself by name. Now, these sheep hear his voice, Jesus says, and they follow. Verse 3, look in your Bibles. And the sheep hear his voice. Verse 4, and when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Christ's sheep, those the Spirit calls and draws, will hear His voice and they will follow. In other words, they will become believers. They will come into the pen. There's no dragging and kicking, but with a changed heart, now that the Holy Spirit is working, they will see the beauty and the glory of Christ and believe and follow. John Flavel says it like this, the great pastor, he says, as soon as their eyes are opened by grace, they run out of Satan's kingdom and darkness, and there is no retaining them in subjection to him anymore. R.C. Sproul says, God doesn't have to do anything to make man say no to him. We say no to him in our own hearts, but he has to do everything to make us say yes to him. My friends, this is your story. This is your story of shepherd from all eternity, if you're a believer, loving you. And he says he knew your name, which meant he knew you. He knew what was in your closet, in your heart. He knew everything that you would ever do. And yet, before you ever did anything, he chose to adopt you and to love you. And He chose to send Christ to die for you. And then He chose to send the Holy Spirit to draw you and to change you so that you might be born again and then freely run to Christ and be saved. This is His grace. Let's close with this last thought. Remember, you're not your own shepherd anymore. Amen? If you're a follower of Jesus, you're not your own shepherd. And that you are not to guide yourself any more than the sheep are to go out on the countryside and guide themselves wherever they want to go. You are to look to Him and watch for indications of His will. Those He will speak to you through His Word and from His Spirit dwelling in your heart. You have a shepherd that will speak, guide, lead, and direct you. 
Our job is to live like his sheep, not fretting and fuming over all of life's challenges, but always going to the shepherd to get directions. You're a sheep if you're a believer. You've got a shepherd. And your job as a sheep is to look to him continuously for every direction and decision in your life. And guess what? He is a good shepherd. And he will guide. He will speak to you through spirit and word. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the two perspectives of salvation. One, you say all who are invited, and that's what we see, the whole world. We are to go out, God, and proclaim the good news of Christ that unlike the Pharisees, Lord, that is not by rules, is not by um, living a perfect life that you're saved. No, no, no. It is by the work of Jesus Christ and faith in that work and repentance that we're saved. And the door is open to anyone regardless of their past. And yet, from your perspective, we see from the beginning of time, from, from before we did anything, you, you gave people for Jesus to ransom and save. And then, in your grace, your Holy Spirit called us. We praise you. Let that sink into us. We are not the author of our own salvation. You are. And we praise you and we worship you. You have shepherded us from the beginning of time and you will finish it. From all eternity, you will shepherd us and we will know and enjoy you. In Christ's name, amen.